0: I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part one of a special three-part podcast for Male Plus Health, where I speak to Mr. Alastair Mace, ear, nose, and throat consultant at Charing Cross Hospital, London, and the Harley Street ENT Clinic. Alastair, thank you so much for joining us. I, this is a, I'm really, really excited and really interested in this topic.
1: That's a pleasure. No, it's great. To, it's great to meet you, and um, I'm pleased to be here. Um, yes, as you say, I'm, a, I'm an ear, nose and throat specialist, or uh, as we call ourselves, otorhinolaryngologist.
0: Oh my goodness, that is that's quite a <laughs> mouthful. So, Alison, can you explain, look, so I think probably the listeners would be interested, well, why, why is it ear, nose and throat? Because you know, it's all in your head, but, but mm. why are they all put together? Why, why, why are their who specialise in that area?
1: Well, you see, they are sort of anatomically very linked up. Um, uh, the, the ears have a tube which links them to the back of the nose and throat. Uh, the nose and the mouth are breathing passages, but also um, are linked uh, through behind the palate. Um, and the, the fluids that um, bathe the nose and the throat are all uh, interlinked um and so traditionally it's been uh, and a lot, a lot of these things are, are down deep dark holes as well so traditionally it's been um our, you know, people have developed an area of expertise into looking into these these deep dark holes that other people weren't interested in so that's how the specialty developed
0: so, so the ears are kind of then connected to your nose and your mm-hmm. throat then as well
1: absolutely and conditions that affect one of these areas can have a knock-on impact on on other sites
0: OK, so we've, we've got some questions that you've kindly agreed to answer from some of the listeners. So we're going to start off with with ears. So the first question, I suppose actually a lot of people can, can relate to this. I've actually got a relative in this sort of, uh, who this oh. particularly relates to. Um, so the question is, my father is suffering from what appears to be progressive deafness. He can never hear what we're saying in restaurants and the TV and radio are insanely loud, yet he refuses to do anything about it or wear hearing aids. I I think it's a pride thing. How can we tackle this issue? I know there are different hearing aids available privately. Are there some that are better than others? I mean, this, I think is gonna relate to lots of people because as I say, I've got a relative who progressively has been getting deaf and actually, even though we've sort of talked to her about it, she must know, but people, you know, I think, I think, it, I think the, the, the person is right. It's sort of often some, some kind of pride thing. People feel ashamed, embarrassed about, sort of, about, um, about hearing loss. They associate it with getting old.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm afraid it's almost inevitable that as you get older, at some point, you will start to, to lose some hearing. And it starts actually from quite a young age. And the reason for it is that there are tiny little hair cells deep in the inner ear that pick up the vibrations of sound and then convert them into electrical impulses that go along the nerve and tell your brain that there's some sound coming in. And these little hair cells are very fragile and they actually start to wear out. And this sort of wearing out starts from your 20s onwards, but it doesn't really become noticeable for most people until they get at least into their 50s and 60s but it is very variable. And it starts, the frequencies you lose earliest are the high frequency, high-pitched sounds. Um, and that's part of the reason why, um, as mentioned here, that in, in where there's background noise with, in restaurants and that sort of thing, when there's a sort of low pitch background hum, picking out the higher frequency sounds, particularly women's voices or children's voices, becomes increasingly difficult. And if you do hearing tests on anyone, sort of above the age of 50, you'll often see a slope downwards at the higher frequency where they find that a bit more difficult. But it does affect everyone differently. I've, I've met some 80-year-olds with um, fantastic, perfect hearing tests. But, um, and, you know, I've met some people in their 20s and 30s who are already developing age-related changes. So it's very, very common.
0: So, so in a way, it's, it's, it's quite it's, it's similar to kind of like eyesight, for example, where you know, yes, there's absolutely. a general deterioration, typically like natural decline in people's eyesight. Some some year olds don't need glasses, but the majority, you know, do.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it can become a real problem, particularly in the elderly. People who live on their own get a bit isolated. They, you know, they lose their hearing, so it's an important thing to address. And the other reason it's important to, to tackle it early is that. Um, if, as you lose your hearing, you start to lose your discrimination of speech. So it becomes more difficult to pick out words and speech from sound. Whereas if you if you get a hearing aid early and amplify that sound, then your brain keeps that, that speech discrimination. So getting a hearing aid, even though a lot of people are quite reluctant to wear one, actually getting a hearing aid early is very helpful and can help um, you know, prevent that sort of social isolation you get and also keep that Ability to, to pick out speech, but um, I completely understand. Very common situation where you tell someone they've got a hearing uh, hearing loss and offer them a hearing aid. And they say no, I don't. I don't really fancy that. And a lot of them, a lot of people are, are understandably worried about what a hearing aid looks like. But, um, to be honest, most hearing aids these days are very discreet.
0: Well, I think people kind of like still have memories of, you know, the big sort of things around the ears. Yeah, And, and yeah. the whistling sort of sounds and, and it's, you know, and, and they don't even work that well and you have to take them off to, you know, you can't hear, use the telephone properly mm. and all this kind of stuff.
1: Well, these days you can get pretty much any sort of hearing aid, um, depending on how much you want to spend and you can get extremely discreet ones that are right down the ear canal and are not visible at all from the outside and that that have to be inserted by a by a professional by an audiologist and and you can still get excellent hearing aids that go behind the ear and have a very thin clear tubing that takes into a very discreet little um, basket that's down the ear canal now um, obviously depends how much money you've got to spend but the other thing to bear in mind is actually the old traditional hearing aids with the the microphone behind the ear and the speaker down the ear canal are actually much more effective. And um, the the reason for that is that you're separating the microphone from the speaker. So you're much less likely to get feedback between the two Um, uh, and you can amplify more um, because of that. So actually the the more old-fashioned style uh, hearing aids which sit behind the ear are much better and they also tend to be more affordable as well. And uh, unless you wear your hair extremely short, usually a bit of hair behind there will, will, will cover it up. There, you know, the bit behind the ear is very small nowadays. And uh, unless you've got very short hair or you're bald, they're not going to be that visible. So that's, the, you know, the, my advice for most patients is not to spend huge amounts of money on invisible hearing aids that go down the canal, but to, uh, to get a more traditional style, modern hearing aid, which gives a much better result in terms of hearing.
0: And so out of interest then what sort of price range? You know, I've got no idea sort of, you know, how much these sort of things cost. And how so, long do, they do they last forever or is there like a shelf life on them? So um,
1: the the sort of cheapest hearing aids you'd be looking at for anything reasonable be about £500 for a pair uh, and then you can go up to anything sort of three to £4,000 for a pair for, for these smaller in-the-ear hearing aids. Um, and the important thing when choosing a hearing aid is um, First of all, the, the, the quality of the hearing the hearing itself, secondly, what it looks like. Thirdly, the sort of package you get afterwards, because uh, it's, you know, a hearing aid is not something you just go and purchase and put in and forget about it. It needs to be adjusted in the future, it will break down, it will need to be repaired, bits of it will need to be changed. So it's important that that's part of the, the deal you get, is the aftercare.
0: A bit I like buying a car then, so, you know,
1: where yes,
0: you kind of have to, get, yes. to have to you know, in a lovely car, yeah. I'm going to have to get, you know, the tyres from Italy and, you know, this kind of stuff, it's going to be a big fiasco. Um, absolutely. So to to it's interesting how it's all of that, yeah.
1: But the other thing is you can get hearing aids on the NHS as well, you can get free hearing aids on the NHS. Uh, unfortunately, in a lot of places there seems to be a long waiting list for that, but they are very good hearing aids, um, and if you get referred from your GP directly, you can get them free on the NHS.
0: You don't, I didn't realise that, so you don't actually have to buy hearing aids? No, if, not at all. If you choose to, you can get them free on the NHS. That's astonishing, I never realised that.
1: Absolutely, and uh, so a lot of the, the sort of high street companies are promoting their hearing aids at the moment, but, you know, if you're prepared to wait, um, you can get one completely free on the NHS.
0: That's amazing, because actually, because I feel, so I, I work in mental health, so I'm a psychiatrist, and actually from a psychiatric point of view, I feel very passionately about people's hearing. Mm. Um, and I'm sure you, you're aware of all the re- research where it's been going, actually we've known about it for some time, but recently the last couple of months, there's been a lot of research sort of suddenly sort of being published about linking d- deafness and kind of problems with hearing with dementia. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, and other mental conditions, like you touched upon, sort of depression because of social isolation. There's mm. also this kind of slightly strange, and I think there's, there's still some debate about what, what that link is, but between mm. kind of, you know, cognitive decline, sort of problems with people's thinking developing um, and, and, and long-term um, hearing loss. Um, and so I always feel really passionate about sort of, you know, pushing for people to go to get hearing aids and get their hearings tested because of the, the mental health implications, not just to do with social isolation, but also to do with, with dementia.
1: Yeah absolutely, I agree.
0: So the next question that we have, which earplugs are safest? I've got noisy neighbours <laughs> who need to use earplugs a few times a week but I've heard some types can be dangerous if used often and I imagine there would be probably quite a lot of parents, particularly teenagers, that also relate to that
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, the the, the the sort of common foam earplugs that you sort of roll up and insert in the ears are actually probably the most effective uh, and they're certainly very cheap um, and easy to use. And um, they're, they're the sorts of earplugs that professionals use, pilots, etc., people who are sort of exposed to noise in their, their work. That will be the first thing that they will use in a, a rolled up foam earplug. And you, you can literally buy a big pot of disposable ones, for, for very little, little money. I think it is worth buying the disposable ones and using a fresh set each time or certainly renewing them every few days because repeatedly putting one of those in and out of the ear could introduce an infection. But I think that's definitely the best place to start. very inexpensive and, and, and quite effective. With all these things, there are more expensive options and you can get uh, custom-made ones which you either make yourself at home with a, with a mould or you can even get them made by an audiologist uh, who will take an impression of the ear uh, and then make a custom fitted uh, earplug for you. Um, you know, they're obviously more expensive but they are a bit more effective. Um, there are uh, moldable sort of putty type silicon um, earplugs which are quite good for swimming. You simply press them into the air and they fold into the creases of the air and fill uh, the, the cavity there. The problem with them is that I have had to pull bits of silicon out of people's ears. Bits do fall off sometimes, they get stuck oh. down the ear canal. Um, so, you know, they can be problematic. Yeah. You know, then you're leading up to all sorts of noise cancelling headphones and things like that. But they're very difficult to wear in bed at night. Anything like that is, is it's going to be very uncomfortable to wear and is going to fall off during during the night but you know they're worth a try if it's during the daytime when you're awake then some expensive noise cancelling over the ear headphones or in the ear headphones can be very helpful.
0: So it doesn't sound like wearing earplugs per se damages your hearing or your ears in any way. It doesn't increase the risk of infection or something. Because I suppose I, I had in my mind, like, you know, kind of if you block off your ears. I don't know, you need like air to be circulating around or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sounds like that's not the case. Earplugs are fine to wear. They're not dangerous. It's not going to damage your ear, providing bits don't get off and fall into your ear.
1: No, they're, they're, they're not going to damage the eardrum. Um, the eardrum is a lot further down than, than most people think. Um, and it's going to be very difficult if you get anything anywhere near the eardrum or damage the eardrum. The only thing they can do is, is push wax a bit further in. So they, if you wear earphones every every night, they may cause you to build up a bit, bit of wax. But if you've got noisy neighbours, maybe that's not a bad thing.
0: Um, and, and I suppose maybe this person, and certainly maybe in my mind, part of the confusion with the concern around earplugs is actually using earphones, um, you know, kind of you know, little earbud things to, to listen to music in. Because that is different, because uh, my understanding is that that's, that can be more damaging to, to your hearing in particular, yes. because you tend to have it up, raised up quite... Quite um, quite loud, and then and then you can damage your actual hearing. Is that is that right?
1: Yes, absolutely. So so earplugs fine, but uh, earphones on l- um, loud volume for long periods of time can damage your hearing, and it's a increasingly um, common problem in y- young people these these days.
0: Um, so the next question actually t- touching what we were, we were just mentioning the earwax. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you get a lot of questions about <laughs> earwax. Yes. So. Indeed. I get terrible earwax and I'm finding it increasingly difficult to get it treated on the NHS. I used to get my ears syringed by the practice nurse at a GP surgery. Um, Then it was called ear irrigation and I was told to use drops first. Now my surgery has stopped offering irrigation and I may need to pay privately or go to a hospital, which seems ridiculous. What can I do to try and keep on top of the wax so it doesn't get this bad? Mm. So I suppose there's actually two questions here, really. Firstly, kind of what's going on with earwax? Mm. Talk to us about earwax. Yeah. Uh, but also, kind of, you know, uh, you know what, what's happening with, with regards to getting it kind of treated on the NHS, is, is, mm. you know, what, why is this person suddenly being told they can't have it
1: treated? First of all, I love talking about earwax. I'm a big fan of earwax. Uh, it's got a bad name. <laughs> but earwax is great stuff. We need earwax. Um, it's, uh, it's antiseptic, it's, um, it, it kills off bugs, it keeps the ear canal um, waterproof and protects it, a sort of waxy coating, um, and it's also a way of carrying out debris from the ear canal, so dust and uh, bits that get down there, even insects or whatever that might get down your ear. The wax carries it out and the why wha- it's, it's my-
0: moving isn't it i think people don't realize that it's like constantly it's like like it or something kind of very slowly creeping out
1: of your ear <laughs> absolutely it is and, and um and you can actually demonstrate that by if you pop up, put a little mark of, of, of ink in the middle of your eardrum and watch it over several months you can actually watch the, the, the point the dot of ink migrate outwards to the side of the eardrum and then along the ear canal and that's the migration of the skin along the ear canal Um, unlike our normal skin, which flakes to the surface and disappears off into the air, eardrum and ear canal skin migrates along the ear canal and it carries the wax along with it. So little bits of wax should fall out of the ear every now and then. um, And, you know, it's completely normal to put your finger in your ear and feel a little bit of wax on the tip. Um, And that's nothing to worry about at all. But having said that, some people do have a problem with, with wax getting blocked and impacted and building up. Uh, And, you know, that can be quite a significant problem. And the reason for that happening is usually if there's either some sort of problem with the shape of the ear canal, a very narrow ear canal, or some sort of problem with that skin migration, the skin is not healthy and it's not carrying the wax out and there may be some underlying skin condition like eczema or psoriasis or, or just rather unhealthy ears. And then wax can build up and the problems that that can then cause are if it blocks the ear canal, hearing problems, it can block the ear. Um, You can develop infections, and if it really builds up for a very long period of time, it can actually sort of the pressure can erode the sides of the ear canal. So, occasionally, it is something that does need to be properly treated. And they mentioned the difficulty about getting the GPs to to syringe out the ears, and that is a problem these days. It used to be something that GPs or the GP practice nurse would, would do regularly, but. A couple of reasons, they, they, they don't do that anymore. Firstly, they're, they're too busy dealing with more serious issues, I think, that's part of the problem. But also, um, people sometimes get infections from ear syringing because you're essentially you're squirting water down the ear canal. And you know, a wet, moist, dark, damp ear canal is, is a prime place for bugs to grow, and, and it can cause infections. And patients aren't happy when they have their ear syringe and they complain that they've developed an infection afterwards. So it's something that that GPs have have sort of gone off offering and very few GPs or practices now offer syringing. So the alternative is have the ear cleaned out with a little sucker, microsuction. And that's what we do as ENT specialists. Uh, We use a microscope. We look down the ear canal with a light and directly suck on the wax and clear it out. We use other instruments to pull it out, which is much safer. It's less messy. It doesn't involve any water and there's no real risk for doing that. And that's also offered by some audiology places and hearing aid places now as well. Audiologists have been trained, some audiologists have been trained to do that as well. So that's the safest way.
0: So it sounds like there are still some cases that you do need to have that wax removed, Hmm. although perhaps not maybe as much as people think. But, you know, because, you know, I know kind of particularly a couple of um, elderly relatives that I've had, you know, they the kind of ears totally blocked and they mm-hmm. think the problem actually, turns out, they don't, it's just blocked, uh, blocked with wax. But actually, so what you're saying is that rather than washing it out like they used to, the, the new technology is much more about, like, sucking it out gently. That's like yes. That's a sort of little kind of mini, mini vacuum cleaner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is a little, little mini hoovering of the ear. <laughs>
0: okay, it, thanks.
1: There are various ear drops that you can buy over the counter, usually sodium bicarbonate or olive oil drops, which will soften. The wax and dissolve it a bit and help it migrate out. And that's a good place to start if you feel your ears are getting full. If that doesn't work, then microsuction is the next step.
0: And what about the one? Is it right that I've seen
1: some of the drops have got peroxide in? Is that right? No, it's usually sodium bicarbonate rather than right. peroxide. Um, I wouldn't recommend putting peroxide drops down, down
0: okay. the ear canal. But so olive, olive oil, good old. Olive oil,
1: good, olive oil yeah. is great because it's, uh, it keeps the skin, ear canal skin healthy and it dissolves the wax nicely.
0: So the next question, this will resonate with a lot of listeners because it's sort of a very common problem. Is there anything I can do to get rid of my tinnitus? I have it in both ears 24 hours a day and it is getting worse. I've tried herbal tablets, I've spent a fortune on acupuncture and a hearing aid just made everything louder.
1: Well, Tinnitus is a very distressing problem and it's very very common. About one in ten people suffer from tinnitus and most people at some point in their lives will have experienced it most people know what you're talking about if you say tinnitus and as a junior trainee in ENT it was a bit of a sort of heart sink. Um, when you had a patient come in um, uh, complaining of tinnitus because, you know, you always, as an option you always want to help people and I, I used to feel I didn't really have much that I could offer because I couldn't write a prescription or do an operation that was going to take it away. But, you know, as you learn more about it and you get more experience, you realise that there is a, a lot you can offer patients with, with, with tinnitus these days and with, with, with modern techniques and more understanding about the condition. The first thing to say about tinnitus is that it's almost always associated with some sort of underlying hearing loss. prolonged tinnitus not the the transient tinnitus that we get after going to a nightclub or something but a prolonged tinnitus that's going on for many months is usually associated with some sort of underlying hearing problem or or ear condition so the first thing is a very sort of thorough history and examination of the ear and some hearing tests and if you do identify a problem then treating that will often take away the 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 tinnitus and there's, there's you know I won't go into all the different potential conditions that can cause tinnitus, but there are definitely some treatable problems and that's the first thing to to exclude. Having said that, a, a large proportion of, of people will end up coming out of that with no particular diagnosis other than a hearing loss, often an age-related hearing loss that we've talked about earlier, but very distressing and, and troublesome tinnitus. So the next step after that is then for the patient learning to, to manage that and, and deal with that. And, and, I, and I say to patients, I'm not going to be able to Take away this this noise completely. I'm not going to be able to, to do give you a medication or a prescription or an operation that will take it away. It's all about coping with it, learning to deal with it, distracting from it, and becoming habituated to the noise that doesn't bother you anymore. And it's just as if you if you go into an, a room where there's a, a noisy fan or or a noisy bit of machinery going on in, in the background, you, as you walk into the room, you'll immediately become aware of it and hear it after you're in the room for. 10, 15 minutes, you won't hear it, you won't notice it anymore. And that's what we aim to do with, with tinnitus. It, you know, the noise may still be there, but if it's not bothering you, it's not affecting your, your life and your quality of life, it's no longer an issue. And that's where most of the treatments for tinnitus are, are aimed at. Going into those, those treatments specifically, the first thing to say is that any outside noise will mask the tinnitus. So it's simply just putting some music on in the background when you're working in a quiet office, or the radio, um, or, if you get when you're going to sleep at night, just putting a quiet CD on with some classical music or something that will turn itself off after half an hour or so often is just is enough to mask the tinnitus and it will become less of a problem. And there are even apps you can get on your phone now, which uh, for, for, for tinnitus sufferers, which will play some uh, you know, wave noises or. Um, Dolphin sounds or uh, you know, even a fan noise or something in the background that you can just put, put by your, your bedside when you're going off to sleep. And it, again, it will turn itself off after an hour or so. And they're, they're simple things that can help. A lot of the, the issue with tinnitus is the, the, the stress and the anxiety behind it. And that, that worsens it. And often it'll become a cycle of anxiety. You know, what, what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my brain or my, my, hip, my ears? Um, you get anxious about it. The anxiety makes the tinnitus worse it's always worse if you're stressed or you're tired or you're run down if you haven't slept well so all of those things that you know need to be addressed things like caffeine make it worse Um, so so cutting down on that relaxation techniques can be very helpful and one of the few treatments that's actually been proven to work for tinnitus is cognitive behavioral therapy and with your you know psychology background you'll obviously will be aware of that and, and actually you know a lot of research into tinnitus and into all sorts of medications that people have tried really the one thing that is proven to be perfectly safe and perfectly effective is is cbt.
0: And actually in my career I've seen two people with tinnitus that have tried to kill themselves and they've turned up to mm. any Mm. And kind of, and you say, well, look, you know, this is tragic. You know, I'm really sorry that you're feeling Mm. stressed, but actually, this is something that people, you know, kind of get treatment for, and then they kind of go, oh, so it's a medicine. You say, well, no, there's a a type of talking therapy. And then I remember one patient going, I'm not mad. I (laughs) don't know. It's not. It's not talking therapy. It's not like that. But it's got amazing outcomes. And when you look at the studies that have been done on it, it's like astonishing. the the, the sort of, and I think you're right, well, you're right, the way it's sort of, one of the aspects of it is about kind of helping people manage that level of anxiety that they experience Mm -hmm. that stops them being so preoccupied around it because, you know, the kind of more you think about it, the more you hear it and actually, um, when you can sort of, you know, distract yourself and, and put your mind onto other things, actually it just kind of goes. It's a bit like, you know, when you're kind of sitting there's an alarm going off later, uh, early in the morning and it's kind of waking you off, you know, outside there's a fire alarm or smoke, you know, or, um, car alarm. And, it's kind of, you're going, and then actually then you end know, up sort of chatting to your partner or something like that and then you, sort of, and then you forget that there's the alarm there and it's yeah. Like,
1: Absolutely, that, that's the mind. and and uh, it's very rare that, that tinnitus gets to be to that serious point where you know people are suicidal, but you know it can happen. And and uh, the worst sort of tinnitus often occurs after some sort of ear surgery, and that's more difficult to, to, to sort out. Um, and that can be very severe, unfortunately, sometimes. But the, the, there are other devices and things that you can wear, and the, the, the patient you mentioned. Uh, earlier talked about a hearing aid just making things worse but uh, hearing aid actually most of the time can be very helpful if there's a hearing loss and you amplify the external noise often that that internal noise the tinnitus will, will, will go away so hearing aids actually most of the time can be very good and there are even um, hearing aids which generate a noise we call them white noise generators um, and there's all sorts of various different devices on, on the market. Um, uh, which actually play a, a, a sort of uh, a background noise, white noise, which um, is is tuned in pitch with the tinnitus to to mask it and, and 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 distract from it. And They can be very effective with very severe tinnitus.
0: Okay, so there's lots of, lots of uh, lots of options and lots of hope out there for people who do. It. That's good. Uh, so next question: I suffer from terrible ear pain when planes take off and land. Is there any product or technique you rec- you can recommend? to help alleviate it.
1: Well, this is a very good demonstration of what you were asking earlier about. Why we, are we ear, nose and throat specialists? Because the problem may present in the ear with pain and blockage in the ear, but actually what's going on here is a problem at the back of the nose. Um, and we have a tube, as I mentioned earlier, that, that comes from your middle ear, which is a sort of air-filled space behind your eardrum, to the back of the nose, and it's called the eustachian tube. Uh, And that's how we equalize our our, our ears, um, because the actual ear is sealed off at the end of the ear canal with a drum. There's no way for air to get in that way. So it has to come up from the back of the nose. And subconsciously, we're doing this all the time. Every time we, we, we talk, we swallow, we yawn, move our palate, it opens up the tube and allows a little bit of air up the tube to the middle ear, behind the eardrum. And the trouble is that the air goes down the tube relatively easily, but getting it back up there is more difficult. And as you, when you're on a plane, as you take off, uh, air expands as the pressure reduces. So the plane takes off and the air expands and the, 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 the additional, the, the, the expanded air comes down the eustachian tube quite easily and comes out of the ear. And then as you're flying along at the same height, you don't really notice any problem until you start to land. And the ear pain almost always occurs when the plane comes down. As the plane comes down, the air pressure increases again. um, And um, so it squeezes the the air that's left in that that ear-filled space and starts to stretch the eardrum inwards. And if you can't allow air back up that tube because you've got a little bit of a congested eustachian tube, you may have a cold or a runny nose or a bit of hay fever, um, then you get a lot of pain. And that pain comes from stretching of the eardrum. So, so, so the space behind the
0: eardrum is kind of the eardrum, like yeah. the suction thing is, is being created and it's pulling that eardrum, sucking it in, Yeah, and, and then that's what's causing the pain there, is that right? And so, yeah. so is that why then, so when, when you're kind of coming down, they give out boiled sweets to try and swallow, to try and open up that that tube, that eustachian tube, is that
1: right? Absolutely. So the first step is, is sucking on sweets or chewing gum and that will help the eustachian tube open a little bit more and even pinching the nose and blowing just to try and squeeze a little bit of air up there. And it's important you start that, you know, if you are prone to problems with, with flying, start that sweet sucking um, before the plane uh, starts to descend. Um, and that can be quite a long time before the plane actually lands. Um, planes start to descend usually about an hour or so, particularly on the long-haul flight, before, before landing. So starting early rather than waiting for five minutes before it, it, the plane hits the ground is important. If that doesn't work, then anything that will decongest and open up the tube can be very helpful. So decongestants, um, things like Otrivin nasal sprays or Sudafed tablets for people who are really prone to problems with flying, they can be very helpful. Um, and again, you need to make sure you take them at least an hour or two before the, the, the plane's due to land um, so that they're effective by the time the plane starts to descend. So that's but, my recommendation,
0: two hours before landing some archery. That's interesting, God, it never occurred to me, because I think, you know, if everyone sort of then starts panicking about it, when they hear their ears popping, as it were, mm-hmm. that's when they sort of start then thinking, oh God, what can I do? But actually, if you're prone to it, the key thing is kind of preparation to allow your ears, because you're allowing, by starting early, you're kind of very slowly allowing your, the pressure behind that eardrum deep in your ear to kind of equalise. Yep. Is that why I kind of very gradually rather than having to all suddenly all at once?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, sucking those sweets early on. <laughs> now, the, the, the other thing which um, has uh, the, the sort of recent development which have been promoted are, are things called earplanes. And they're essentially little earplugs that you put in. Um, they're sort of foam and metal earplugs that have a, a sort of a valve on them. And um, they're designed to work in a similar way in that they allow a gradual pressure change rather than a sudden pressure change. So you, you put them in your ear canal, they seal the ear canal and air can only pass through them very slowly. So it spreads out that pressure change over a longer period of time. So they can help. They're not completely effective on their own, but with the other measures, you know, they can make life a bit easier if you're a frequent flyer.
0: So the, the last question about ears, are some people naturally more prone to ear infections? I've had many over the last few years that have acquired antibiotics. One ended in a burst eardrum. Is there anything I can do to try and prevent more infections in the future?
1: So there are two main types of ear infections: um, the infection of the outer ear canal, which we call otitis externa. And
0: that's a uh, bit of a C, isn't it? We kind of put our yeah, in there.
1: So, so you know, the the, the the sort of opening there that you can feel in the canal, and that that can get infected, um, and that's a sort of more common ear infection in adults. Um, and then you can get an otitis media, an infection behind the eardrum of this, that middle ear that we were talking about. And that's more common in, in children. Um, and the, 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 the person they're talking about, a perforated eardrum, suggests to me they've had an otitis media. Um, they both have very different um, causes uh, and are treated very differently. So I might just talk about them separately, if if that's all right. So for an otitis media, as I say, very, very common in children uh, whose eustachian tubes don't work very well, um, the ear gets blocked, it gets full of fluid, and then that fluid gets infected and the eardrum stretches because the pus stretches the eardrum. It's incredibly painful. The child gets quite a bad fever, feels very unwell, and then the eardrum bursts, and it's almost like bursting a spot. You get a sudden relief from the pain. The Pus comes out of the ear canal, but the child suddenly looks much better and the temperature goes down. Can they hear though? What
0: about that? Because surely if your eardrum goes, that's it, then isn't
1: it? Well, so they, they won't hear from the start because the ear is full of fluid, um, and obviously, what you know, when it bursts, the eardrum's damaged, the ear canal is full of pus, so the hearing is is poor for a while. But actually, the eardrum has a remarkable capacity to rebuild itself and heal and the vast majority of perforations or holes in the eardrum like that will heal over a period of time usually just a few weeks Um, and then the hearing will return to normal so it's not the sort of disaster you might think having, having a perforated eardrum
0: so actually it's quite a clever mechanism, I mean, not that you want it to happen, mm. but it sounds like it's quite a smart thing that the ear does, is that you know it's got this confined space in the middle of your head, um, it's got this infection, it's building up pus and it just goes we need to just get this out there and so it just kind of you know it's almost sacrifices the eardrum, says so right, okay, well, it gets all this muck out and then it can then sort of recover and repair itself, once, you know, once that, that build up of pus has gone.
1: Yeah absolutely it is very clever like that. If you have repeated infections that go on over many years then it can lead to chronic uh, long-term holes in the eardrum which then have to be repaired but most of the time a hole in the eardrum repairs itself very quickly. And then the the other one the the infection the otitis externa now that usually has a completely different cause that's usually due to bugs getting in from the outside often with water Um, so particularly swimmers are, are commonly prone to, to infections of the ear canal. Um, uh, people who get water down the ear canal when they're washing their, their hair or showering. Uh, people who put dirty fingers in their ears and scratch their ears um, are prone to developing infections. And, and that's very different. That's infection of the ear canal and, um, uh, um, and ear drops and cleaning out of the ear are the best way to get, get that treated.
0: That's all our questions for today thank you very much for your time we'll be back next week for part two in the meantime if you want more from alistair mace he is at harleystreetent.com and you can find us on spotify apple and google and whilst you're there please leave us a review and don't forget to sign up for the daily mail plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk